You're listening to a sermon podcast from Redemption Hill Church, recorded at one of our worship services. And now the scripture reading for today is from Philippians 1, chapter 1, verses 12 to 26. Philippians 1, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. These are the true words of the living God. Thanks be to God. Help us to respond in faith. Thank you, Tara. Good morning, everyone, and Happy New Year to you all. It's uh, really wonderful to have you today, first Sunday of 2024. And glad that we can be together looking at Philippians. My name's Simon. I'm one of the pastors here. And we'll be diving in in a moment. But before we do that, I have a book to give away. And uh, that book is called The Surprising Genius of Jesus. It's a thin book. It's not long and complicated. Written by a New Testament scholar in Cambridge. And I think I've recommended some of his books before. But he is a, a wonderful New Testament scholar who uh, dives in. And in this book, he's showing us Uh, So one of the books that I recommended before that he wrote is Can We Trust the Gospels? And this book is a book in which he looks at some of the teaching of Jesus and shows us what a remarkable and brilliant teacher Jesus was by how he is uh, drawing from the Old Testament. And he just helps to open some of the parables in a very, very beautiful way. And he particularly does that in this book with the parable of the prodigal sons. And uh, that is one of the most moving stories that Jesus tells, and he opens it up in a very, very beautiful way uh, that moves me very deeply. So if you're looking for something to help you understand the New Testament and how Jesus is drawing from the Old Testament uh, in his teaching and just shows you what a a brilliant teacher he is, I would really recommend this. So who would like a copy of that? Your hand was up before I even... uh... It's yours. Come. 
Come and grab it. Remember, we give these away so you can see what good books are and hopefully buy them uh, yourself. Okay, and then one other minor detail. I think Tara was given uh, some old info about the, the one prayer meeting. The Thursday evening prayer meetings are going to be happening every second Thursday. So uh, not every single Thursday, but every second Thursday, and you'll be able to find that info um, online. All right, well, let's, let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. We ask for your help as we look at your word. We thank you for this passage. We thank you for your grace that is flowing toward us. And we pray that we together would be built up and edified as a church, as your people through this passage today. We ask this in Jesus' name. So it's a new year. And uh, one of the things I love about New Year's is that God tells us that his mercies are new every day, and that means every year too. And what that means for every single one of us today is that God is very, very serious about being with us this year. I don't know how many of you are aware of that, but God is very serious. Jesus is very serious through his spirit of drawing near to you, of walking with you every single step of 2024, of supplying grace for your every need, leading you in paths of holiness and righteousness. This is what the scriptures tell us God is really committed to. And a question we can ask ourselves in the light of this is, if this is how committed God is to us, how serious are we really about following him? How do we know if we really love and are living for Jesus? Yes, there's one sense in which all of us are continually growing and we're always going from from glory to glory, but how do we really know if we, if we are living for Jesus rightly? Friends, one of the ways that we can know is how we respond in crises or in very hard circumstances. Our response in these difficult circumstances often reveal just where our hearts really are. When we go through difficult times, where do we turn to, to take comfort? What do we long for and hope for? I think one of the reasons that many of us struggle or don't give ourselves fully to Jesus is because deep down, we may not consciously think this, but deep down in our hearts, we believe that true happiness or true joy, true life is found outside of Christ. We think true gain, true profit is found outside of him. And this means, obviously, we'll end up pursuing things, those things, thinking that they will help to make us really happy. And I want to put it to us this morning. This is why many of us live lives of anxiety. When we put our gain and our our sense of true profit in our reputations, maybe in our finances or relationships, then the minute that they become threatened or we can't control them perfectly, we find ourselves living in great fear. But Paul, here in our passage, is very different to this. Paul, as we're going to see this morning, sees Jesus Christ as his ultimate gain, And this, I want to put it to us, is why Paul is so happy and rejoicing even though Paul's in prison. It's as though Paul, in our passage today, cannot have his joy stolen. It's something which cannot be taken away from him. And this is because Jesus is Paul's highest treasure, and Jesus can never be taken from Paul. Paul enters and dwells in this kind of joy because he has made what is of ultimate gain, Jesus, his ultimate treasure. So the main idea we're going to see today is that Jesus really is ultimate gain. And we're going to look at two uh, sections of the text. 
Now, firstly, that Christ is gain, and, there, and because Christ is gain, we should rejoice whenever Jesus is proclaimed. That's verse 12 to 18. And secondly, we're going to see how, because Christ is gain, we should live so Jesus is magnified. That's verse 18b to 26. And in both of these sections, Paul uses this phrase, and I will rejoice, or I rejoice. The fact that Jesus is supreme leads Paul to a sense of gladness and joy. So let's dive in. We're going to look firstly at because Christ is gain, rejoice when Christ is proclaimed. All right, have a look at verse 12. I hope you have your Bibles with me. These verses will not come up behind me this time, but uh, I want to, if you've got your phones or your Bibles, uh, I want you to see that verse 12 to 18 really cover this idea of preaching or proclaiming or speaking the word of God. So I want you to know what's happened has really served to advance the gospel. Verse 13, it's become known uh, to the whole palace guard. And many of the brothers, verse 14, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So this idea of the word being spoken is clear here. Verse 15, some preach Christ from envy, others from goodwill. Then in verse 17, the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. What then only in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So this first section is really about the gospel being preached. Now, the situation, if you were here last Sunday, you would have heard that Paul finds himself in prison. Uh, he's been, uh, he's, this is likely where he's under house arrest in Rome. And whilst Paul's circumstances as a preacher of the gospel have changed, his primary mission and his calling have not changed. Because we see here that while Paul's in prison, what he continues to do is preach the gospel again and again. He tells us in verse 13, the whole imperial God, all the rest have come to know that my imprisonment is for Christ. What's happening here, friends? Paul's in jail, but rather than licking his wounds, he's using every opportunity to tell everyone about Jesus. He's preaching and telling people that they know why he's there. Why are you in, why are you in chains, Paul? I'm in chains because of Jesus Christ. What do you mean you're in chains because of Jesus Christ? Didn't you steal something? No, I'm in chains because of Jesus. Let me tell you about it. I was persecuting the church. I thought Jesus was a cult leader, that, that he was um, not sent from God. And I was uh, persecuting Christians. I was uh, obtaining permission to put them to death. And while I was traveling on the road, I met this Jesus. And Paul begins to recount his conversion. He tells them how he met the risen Christ and how uh, because of this, he has now been his messenger preaching the gospel. And for this, Paul has been thrown in prison. Friends, Paul is preaching in such a, 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 um, a passionate way that so many are coming to faith that if you flip over in your Bibles or scroll down uh, to chapter 4, uh, actually, sorry, this one you don't have to because it's going to be on the slide. Chapter 4, verse 22, at the end of the letter, when Paul is sending the greetings of all the Christians to those at Philippi, who does he greet on behalf of? All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Paul is under, I mean, Paul's been preaching in, in, to, to Caesar. He's in prison uh, and with these imperial guards coming through. Because of this, Paul's preaching in prison has meant that many in Caesar's household have now come to faith. They're believers. And Paul, I mean, this may seem uh, like a detail that we don't notice, but it almost seems quite cheeky to me. I mean, here's Paul in prison, in Caesar, and he says, hey, by the way, all the saints, all the believers that are now in Caesar's household, they all send you greetings as well. Friends, 
What we see here is the preaching of the gospel is what Paul cares about. This he can do anywhere. The gospel for Paul is not chained at all. So because Jesus is his highest gain, even when he's in prison, he wants the gospel to be preached. And he can see that even in prison, it can be advanced. Have a look um, in verse uh, 12. He says, I want you to know what's happened to me, me going to prison, has really served to advance the gospel. In other words, something, Paul goes to prison, that's the end of the gospel going out. He says, actually, it's really served to propel it. Now, how could Paul going to prison advance it? Two ways. Number one, there's some people that Paul wouldn't otherwise have gotten to. When you read through the end of Acts, he had access to Felix, Festus, Agrippa. Remember last year we were preaching through the ends of Acts. And he testifies of the gospel to all of these people uh, because of his imprisonment. So that, chapter 4, verse 22, uh, Caesar's household, many have come to faith. But secondly, our passage tells us, we'll see now in verse 14, Uh, that many are emboldened, he says, most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now, for some of you, this may not make sense. You may think if all of our pastors uh, were put in jail for preaching the gospel, uh, that would really chill all of you and make you think we should not preach the gospel at all. That's how we normally think. And you think when, Pete, when Jesus was arrested, the disciples, um, many of them fled. But now there's something different going on. The Spirit has been poured out. And when these people see the boldness of Paul, that even though he's suffering, he prizes Jesus and wants to preach Jesus above all. And not even chains can stop the gospel going forward. It has the reverse effect. And suddenly those on the outside say, Paul is not even making any apologies for Jesus. For Paul, Jesus is worth far more than his freedom and his comforts in this world. And therefore, they are stirred and emboldened to preach. It strengthens others for ministry as well. To put it another way, Paul's gospel courage, friends, is infectious, that it strengthens others for ministry. There is a pastor um, living in another country who... I don't know personally, but I've been aware of for a number of years and kind of followed through social media for some time. And uh, two weeks ago, uh, their 15-year-old daughter uh, was at a friend's house and suddenly had, out of the blue, some very serious brain seizures and had to get taken to hospital. And it's been more than two weeks and she's not woken up. She's been in a, I think it's a medically induced coma. It's very, very, very serious and very, very tragic as their beautiful 15-year-old daughter, they, they see her um, in this state. And over the last two weeks, they've been sending out regular kind of medical, uh, it's kind of daily updates and reports and desires for uh, requests for prayer. And one of the things that's been so incredible to watch about this family is how um, amidst the, their pain and their suffering and their grief that they've been very honest about, They have really clung to the hope of Jesus in such a profound way and wanted to use this to let others know of their hope in Jesus. And so their nearly daily updates uh, aren't actually all about all the medical details, but are often filled with real gospel hope. So they will, um, so for example, a couple of days ago, he told a story about his daughter when she was born and how he had to hold her while while a doctor went and pricked her with a needle. And that was painful for his daughter, but ultimately 
He knew as her father this was going to be for her ultimate good. And then he later ends uh, his reflection saying this, tonight, so tonight we rest in the father's hands. Eden has been struck. We could not stop this painful event, but we know there is a purposeful providence in it all. We trust we will see some of that purpose in our lifetime, but we are certain that on the last day, when we see what God sees, we will thank him forever. Join us in praising him. Or, I think yesterday, told the story of how these friends brought their friend uh, who was paralyzed to Jesus and talks about how uh, Jesus healed that man, but at the same time, before he healed the man, he went and forgave his sins. And they are asking for prayer for their daughter to be healed. They're asking God for that. But then they say, as much as we hope that Jesus will use his sovereign power to heal Eden, we hope even more that he will use this to bring about the forgiveness of sins for many. We pray the gospel will become undeniably precious to us, to Eden, who we, know, who we trust knows the Lord, to her siblings, to people in our church, to classmates, to friends, and to people around the world whom we've never met. God delights in doing this, so please, please keep bringing Eden and us to Jesus. Friends, here is someone who is not living in any denial. This is not kind of some prosperity gospel, name it or claim it, or denying the difficulty of what's happening. This is tears and grief and sorrow and questions and, 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 and doubt, but at the same time, a deep trust in the goodness of God and a proclamation of that in the midst of the pain and sorrows. I think about uh, business owners at RHC who've been in their business, sharing the faith with others and colleagues are, are coming to faith. I think about someone here who invited a friend to the Christmas Eve service who came to faith just after the Christmas Eve service. I think about a couple in, in Ling, a dearly beloved to many of us who recently, uh, in the last few weeks, had a child who was born with trisomy 18. And they are filled with such grief as they watch their, their daughter's suffering and yet how they've walked out this road with deep grief in the community and felt the comfort of the gospel and tried to live faithfully before God, that their lives has, has strengthened that community. And Edward was, was just telling me how in the midst of such sorrow and sadness and pain, God is at work and doing something deep. Friends, I want to ask all of us this morning, how are we, how are you using your very ordinary circumstances to preach and to embolden others. Sometimes we think that the moments that we'll be able to share our faith are when things are going really well or where we have some miraculous story. So for this family in the U.S. with their daughter, maybe we're, we're inclined to think if they get amazing results or their daughter wakes up or she's fully healed, that will be a testimony that will, be in, that will be able to encourage others, and no doubt it would be. But they have not had much good news for the last two weeks. And yet in the midst of the ordinariness and the difficulty of their life, they are testifying to their faith, to God's goodness, to His grace. Friends, that's not all that we see. We see Paul here is not only committed to gospel advance, regardless of his circumstances, but Paul is so committed to the gospel that he's committed to it even when people's motives for preaching it are wrong. In verse, one to 15, in verse 15 to 18, 
we see a fascinating and really very disturbing account here. Paul says, I'm rejoicing that the gospel is being preached by me and by many others. Some preach Christ from envy and rivalry. Now, some of you are thinking, who's preaching the gospel out of envy and rivalry? But others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. But the former, these who are preaching from envy and rivalry, they proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. You may want to just read that again, because that really is what Paul says. There are some people who are preaching the gospel out of their own personal ambition, not sincerely, but trying to afflict or hurt Paul because he's in prison. What on earth is going on here? The first group preaching Christ out of love, but the latter out of envy or rivalry, not sincerely. The key word here is the word strife. And the word here means they're preaching out of heated contention, mean quarreling, wrangling of words, unhealthy debate, and harmful arguing. What it seems here, friends, there are people who are jealous of Paul and his ministry, and they see Paul being jailed as an opportunity for them to get ahead of Paul in their ministry and advance it while Paul's in prison. And the more they preach and the more converts they get, they're going to make him feel bad, and they're going to injure him. They may even be saying things like, you know, Paul's in jail, he's not a true apostle. We know this because in 2 Corinthians... Uh, there were some who were using Paul's sufferings as some kind of barb against him to say God's abandoned him, God's not ready for him, we're the real deal. We don't know if these are exactly the same people, but there's something similar going on. Friends, if you're listening this morning and you think this is very horrific, this really is. If you're here and you're not a Christian and you thought that coming to church, Christians would tell you how good they are all the time, I mean, the Bible has on open display, it's open source for everyone. There are some people behaving very badly here. And what's going on? Their motives are impure. They, see, they want to actively injure, injure, injure Paul. And their gospel proclamation is not even sincere. They're not preaching out of a pure heart. Uh, the, word, yeah, the, the word can literally mean, selfish ambition can literally mean for personal gain. This sounds like where Jesus talks in John 10 about someone who's preaching for hire, like, like a hired hand. This is what's driving them. So let's follow what's going on here. Friends, there is clearly personal sin involved. There's division within the body of Christ. There's a profound lack of unity. Now, if you were like me, you would think that's grounds to simply dismiss these people, rebuke them, separate from them, grieve over their lack of maturity and godliness. And what is amazing here is Paul does not respond that way. Instead, Paul rejoices not even tolerates, but rejoices. I was trying to think of a good analogy. It's very hard to find. But I was thinking, you know, if like Manchester United was playing against Liverpool and it was a tight game and it's like the FA Cup final or something and in the end we just get, we, we, we lose or Manchester United gets relegated, like something really bad happens to the team, I wouldn't be sitting there rejoicing saying, look, United lost, but football was really the winner. I'm just so glad. That's not, that's not how I've ever thought. And yet, something like that is happening to Paul. Why would Paul do so? Now, friends, I want to be very clear 
for us today. Paul is not rejoicing at their sin here. Not at all. We'll come back to this in a moment. The reason that Paul gives is that Christ is proclaimed. This is the reason for Paul to rejoice. In other words, friends, um, Paul is rejoicing that the gospel is actually being advanced. That's what he said. I want you to know what's happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Two, two reasons. I mean, th- three reasons, actually, now. Those in the palace God heard the gospel. There were others outside who were emboldened to preach. And there were some of these like, badly motivated people who were preaching to try and injure Paul. And all this, through all this, the gospel is being preached. So Paul's rejoicing in the gospel in Christ being preached, even if people are specifically opposed to him and doing it with evil motives. Does this not seem incredibly kingdom-minded? It really is. Now, I want us to think about this again, because we need to qualify this. Two ways that we can qualify. Number one, Paul does not display this kind of charity all the time. Later on in chapter 3, if you want to turn there, chapter, well, you don't have, sorry, it's on the slide. Chapter 3, verse 2, Paul is going to say, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And Paul here is talking about the Judaizers. These were people, the same group from Galatia, who, were, who believed in Jesus, believed that Jesus died and rose again, but were saying in order to be saved, you not only have to have faith in Jesus, you have to believe in Jesus and be circumcised and obey the Old Testament law, etc., etc. And Paul in Galatia and Galatians says that is a distortion of the gospel. That is undermining the work of Christ. That means we are not simply putting our faith in Christ alone, but we are putting our faith in Christ's work and in our own righteousness. And Paul says that is a false gospel. So in, chapter, in the same letter, Paul says here, look out for the dogs. And Galatians chapter 1, he says, if anyone preaches a gospel other than the gospel that Jesus gave to us, that I preached to you, let him be condemned. Let him be eternally condemned. Let him be accursed. He says, even if an angel from heaven comes and adds to this gospel and says, you are saved by your own works or by adding anything to Christ's work, let him be accursed. In other words, Paul is not just like, I don't know, a hippie who's like super chilled about everything and whatever. Wow, I'm so happy for you. He's not like that at all. Paul gets very antsy very quickly when the gospel is messed with. But if the true gospel is preached, even with bad motives, and even with motives of injuring Paul, he says if Jesus is properly preached and people are hearing that Jesus Christ died for our sins, he rose again, he says in that I rejoice, and I will lay aside my reputation, I'll lay aside my own sense of personal injury, and I'll just rejoice that Jesus is being preached. Friends, Paul here is not counting his own reputation as worth anything, so long as Jesus is preached. Friends, what do we count as greater gain than Christ? Is it maybe our comfort, so we don't serve, or we don't give till it hurts, our lifestyles? Because we've counted something as greater gain than Christ, or maybe our reputation. We don't share our faith with others. We're worried about what people will think about us if they know that we're Christians. Maybe we don't want to be known as like one of those kinds of Christians. Maybe we aren't filled with rejoicing when other churches or ministries or community groups or other things thrive more than ours. Because what we actually prize is our own gain, our own name, our reputation more than that of Christ. 
This can really apply to all of us, including pastors, including myself. What's our attitude toward Christians who believe in Jesus and believe the gospel and love him, but do differ on secondary or tertiary doctrines to us? They don't take the same view on baptism or various other things. Do we celebrate their their growth and, and praise God when they're flourishing because Christ is being proclaimed? Friends, when we count anything as more gain than Christ, the Bible actually describes us as sin. And remember one of the comments we made in the beginning. Anxiety, sadness, lack of joy, often, maybe not always, but often, is the result of making something else our gain above Christ. I can't tell you how often as the pastor of this church I've heard someone tell me that they received a huge bonus or a massive increase and were so happy about it until they realized how much they started worrying about it, what to do with it, what happens if it's lost, how to manage it. There's a natural sense in which we want to be good stewards, of course. But when we start to put our, our faith or our trust in some of these things, when we see that as our highest gain, interestingly, anxiety begins to grow, not joy. But Paul here, friends, has such great gain, sees such great gain in Christ And he knows this cannot be lost, even if he's in prison. And Paul's so precious about the gospel here because, as we heard last Sunday, he wants the joy. He's celebrating the joy of the Philippians. He wants them to stand with joy before Jesus on the day of the Lord. So for Paul, Christ is ultimate gain. And so his joy is unshakable whenever Christ is proclaimed. Now, the other qualifier I must make here, friends, is to be, I want us to be clear For someone to preach Jesus with impure motives, envious of others, with divisive motives, is a massive contradiction in terms. It shows the gospel they preach has not been worked out in them properly. And friends, the Bible says that any sin that we live, that we have in our hearts, will be dealt with. We will be held to account on Judgment Day. So I do want us to hear this and say Paul's minimizing sin or making light of it. Not at all. But the point is, for for Paul, he's rejoicing here that Jesus is being preached. Friends, can we live like this? Can we live with such a passion for Jesus to be magnified through our life and our witness, the witness of RHC and other churches? Can we praise God when, when other churches thrive? Friends, this is partially why our vision and our goal is to see Churches, churches flourish, not just for RHG to grow bigger and get big, bigger and bigger. We are not trying to plant branches of RHG, branded branches of RHG around Singapore. We planted Inling. They've got their own name. When they're healthy enough to stand on their own feet, they'll become their own independent church, um, and they will hopefully be close friends with us, and we'll do many things together, but we're not planting our own brands. ECP going to... Uh, working on their own name and going to announce that sometime soon and will become independent soon. Friends, we want the gospel to ring out. We want this, this, um, this attitude to be in our hearts. So our first point was our longest one today. Because Christ is gain, rejoice when he is proclaimed. But secondly, we see because Christ is gain, live so Christ is magnified. Paul has rejoiced that Christ being preached but now he continues to rejoice. Look at verse 18. Yes, and so uh, verse 18 says, what then? Only in every way, 
whether in pretense or in truth, Christ has preached, and in that I will rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that. So Paul's now going to tell us why he is rejoicing for the second reason. And the reason really is because Paul fully expects for Jesus to be magnified or honored in his own life, whether by life or death. Sorry, that was a slide here before. So let's simply work through uh, this section and have a look and see what Paul says. Verse 18 um, to 19. So Paul says, I know, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit, this will turn out for my deliverance. This is not really the point of the sermon today, but I just want to point out the significance of prayer here. Paul, as we're going to see in a moment, is hoping to make it to the end and see Jesus face to face and rejoice on that day. And Paul, friends, this great apostle, literally says, I know that through the help of your prayers, sorry, your prayers and the help of the Spirit, this will turn out for my deliverance. Friends, this is a great apostle, and he knows for him to make it to the end and serve Jesus all his days, he needs the prayers of others. And this is why we gather to pray. This is why we are trying to pray more and more as a church. Now, what exactly is this deliverance that Paul is, is, is talking about? I think if you read this, you may think Paul's talking about deliverance from prison. But actually, commentators help us realize that he's not talking about deliverance from prison. The deliverance that they're praying for and what he's asking for is his ultimate salvation. And we see this because of the flow of thought. Look at what Paul says. His eager hope is he will not be ashamed, whether by life or death. Uh, this, this is in verse 20. He will not be ashamed whether by life or by death. This means Paul's hope for deliverance can happen whether he lives or whether he dies. In other words, this is not, he's not simply talking about prison here. This must be him seeing Jesus face to face and holding fast, faith, face to face and holding fast to the faith. So in verse 20, uh, Paul says, it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. This word honored here, Christ will be honored uh, in my body, is uh, another way to translate it is magnified. Christ will be made large. He'll be seen. He'll be seen as being glorious and as wonderful. And this, in many ways, is the main idea that Paul's getting to. That's why in prison, if Jesus is being preached properly, Paul's like, he's being magnified, I'm happy. Now Paul says, in my own life, whether my life or my death, I just want Jesus to be magnified. So friends, to be clear, Paul is in prison, but he is not primarily praying for release from prison. He's primarily concerned with faithfully following Jesus to the end so that Jesus is magnified in his life. And Paul says, Jesus can be magnified in my life whether I live or whether I die. Friends, how precious is Jesus to Paul? How precious is this gospel to Paul? Whether he lives or dies, that's all that he wants. Now, what does this look like? Verse 21, Paul double clicks on what it's like to have a life fully consumed by Christ. He says, whether he lives or dies, Christ will be magnified. So let's have a look and see what he means uh, by these two. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yeah, which I shall choose I, I cannot tell. Paul talks here, friends, about two scenarios in which he hopes that Christ will be magnified in his life. This is what it looks like to live for Jesus. This is how we know 
we, we really are serious about following him. So let's firstly look at life. How will Paul's life magnify God? He says to live as Christ, by which he means, verse 22, fruitful labor. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Friends, the idea is very simple. If you go back to chapter 1, verse 11, we preached on it last Sunday. Um, Paul says in verse 11, he's praying that they will be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. So what is Paul saying? Paul says, if I'm going to live, I'm going to live and I am hoping my life is going to mean fruitful labor. And we see here that the only fruit that can really be born is Jesus bearing his fruit in the lives of others. So what is Paul saying? As a messenger of the gospel, his fruitfulness is when he's faithful to love others, to preach to them, to care for them, to point them toward Jesus, to pray for them as he does in chapter one, to let the whole palace guard know about Jesus. And as Paul does that, Jesus is working through him bearing fruit. And Paul says, how I know that I'm living for Christ is that my life will mean fruitful labor. Friends, I know Paul is a great apostle here, but this applies to every one of us. This applies to pastors, this applies to lawyers, to bankers, it certainly applies to mothers. Fruitful labor, fruitful labor. Friends, many people say the greatest evangelists in the church are the Sunday school teachers. Between those and mothers, surely. Those who are discipling their children, sharing their faith, praying for them, encouraging them, helping others see Jesus. Fruitful labor, friends. And Paul says, this is, it's, it's, Paul says he wants to see Jesus at work through him for their ultimate joy. Look at verse 23 to 24. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart from me with Christ. We'll get back to that in a moment, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Paul wants to stay on earth for the Philippians' joy and gladness. And we see this because of verse 25. Let's put verse 25 up. Convinced of this, I know I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Last Sunday, we saw how Paul is, is rejoicing over the Philippians who know Jesus, who he knows will stand before God on judgment day and enter into perfect joy forever and ever. And Paul says, if I'm going to live, I want to live for fruitful labor, that you Philippians will remain, continue, sorry, for your progress and joy in the faith. This is what he longs for and loves and wants to see. And Paul, knowing that Jesus wants his people to be built up, knows even though I'd prefer to go to heaven and just be with Jesus now, I know he wants me to stay here and help you all. So my time is not up just yet. And I, I know this, so I'm going to stay here. I'm going to give my life to building you up and loving you with everything I have. Friends, this is what it means to live for Christ. We live for his goals. We live for his ambitions. We live to see his kingdom come. Now, what does this look like for you? I know some of you are thinking, it's so easy for Paul to say this. He's a pastor. That's what he does all day and all night. Friends, there's a general sense in which us laboring for God in whatever vocation he's given us, if we're doing it to please the Lord, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, or Colossians chapter end of 3 and beginning of chapter 4, if we, whatever vocations we have, as long as it's not illegal or something purely immoral, but that can involve, friends, just about every vocation I think I've ever spoken to that someone has at RHC 
can be done to the glory of God. Maybe there's some things in your job you're going to have to say no to, or some ways of going about your job you can't participate in, but your job can be done to bless this world, to love neighbors, to help others, and then the way that you engage your job can also be done to the glory of God too, where you do share the faith, where your life is a witness in the ordinary moments, ordinary parts of your life. Paul really is passionate about this. And then secondly, Paul says, even in death, even if he dies, Paul will have gained because in death he gains Christ and will see him face to face. Friends, I want us to just meditate on this line for one second, for for a moment. Paul says, to die is gain. To die is gain. How do we know that we really love Jesus? I don't say this to condemn anyone here because... I am your pastor, and I have to work through this myself. Paul knows that Christ is his highest gain because despite all of his joys here in this world, he knows there is nothing better than just being with Jesus. And he, as he will say in chapter 3, he's counted all things as rubbish compared to the greatness of knowing Christ. Now he says, there is nothing on this world that is so appealing to me that I would rather be here than be with Jesus face to face. Paul has seen something of Jesus that makes him so precious to him, that makes him rejoice when Jesus is preached, that makes him think, if I'm going to live, I just want to live that others will come to know him and bear his fruit. So what does it mean to magnify Christ? We magnify Christ when we do everything in this life for Jesus. And when we see the end of our days here as gain, The end of our days is gain, not as loss, because we are more satisfied in Christ than anything that we lose at death. Friends, this is what Paul is showing us here. Now, before we close, we can look at Scripture and we can find our hearts being challenged by these things. I don't want us to read this text today and walk out of here feeling condemned like I'm really not as good a Christian as I should be. If you feel like, man, I'm not quite there, I want to tell you this morning, there is that on the one hand is bad news, on the other hand is really good news. On the one hand it's bad because you're not living everything that God has for you. But the good news, friends, there is so much more for you in the Christian life. There is joy and satisfaction and gladness in Jesus that you haven't even scratched the surface of yet. And through this passage today, Jesus is inviting you and I into that. Remember last Sunday, the, 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 the book begins, grace to you, and the book ends, grace be with you. This is part of the grace God's wanting to give us at RHC through this sermon today. A vision of Jesus that is so glorious that we begin to say, I long for that. I don't quite have that. But I want to cultivate that. I want to pursue that. And Jesus himself, friends, is the one who doesn't sit in heaven scolding us saying, hey, how come you'll never value me so much? Jesus is the one who is bringing us his grace to lead us there. Friends, Jesus is the one who sees the gain of eternity with God as being so precious as being so valuable that even when you and I turned away from it, 
when we choose other gains, Jesus says, I'll lose my reputation. I'll lose my status. I'll lose my heavenly gain. And I'll come and take on the nature of a servant. I'll take on flesh. I'll count my gain as loss so that sinners on earth, you at RHC, you can enjoy my gain. Friends, this is another way of talking about the gospel. Because Jesus' loss of leaving heaven to come on earth and live here for our sake, and going to the cross and dying a sinner's death, Jesus' gain is not just happiness and sadness, but Jesus' loss and gain was the loss of his relationship with God and the gain of our sin that was laid upon his shoulders so that we could enter into this eternal joy forever and ever. Friends, Jesus comes to take on in the incarnation our life at the cross. He takes on our sin. And because of that, we get his life and his glory. We get the joy that he experienced from eternity with the Father. We get folded into this and invited into this. Friends, Jesus saw this as so precious. You want my joy with the Father forever and ever that he said, I'll gladly empty myself. I'll gladly take on the form of a servant because I want you to have this. Jesus said, for me to stay in heaven is, 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 is ultimate gain, but there's fruitful labor for me on earth. Knowing this, I will come to earth and I'll lay down my life for you and give it for you so that you can know the Father this way. Friends, I want you to think about this. If Jesus saw that as most precious, then why don't we turn to him now and say, Jesus, won't you by your spirit help us to see you as this precious too? Won't you help us to have the eyes of our hearts open, to lay aside what we see as gain and still enjoy the many gifts you've given us, but receive you as our God. C.S. Lewis said, in the truest sense, Christian pilgrims have the best of both worlds then. We have joy whenever this world reminds us of the next and we take solace whenever it does not. Why does Lewis say this? Because Christ is ultimate gain regardless. Can we close our eyes and pray? Father, we thank you that you have given us in your word this passage from Paul that, that helps us to see from different angles and facets the preciousness of Jesus. We ask that you would help us today to both see with the eyes of our hearts how precious this gospel is and your son is and then to pursue Christ, to live for him. Father, we pray that you would fill us with your spirit and make us a happy, joyful people who live for Jesus, who say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We ask this in his name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon podcast from Redemption Hill Church. You can find more of our sermons online at www.rhc.org.sg.